You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend the next hour talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we do it. If you'd like to contact the show, you can call us at 844-999-9249, or you can always email the show at letstalktorah at gmail.com. Um, I'm not completely alone this week. We will be joined by Rabbi Jonas and Goldson of Ethical Imperatives later in the show. But otherwise, we get lots of time again by myself to talk about lots of great stuff. We must give a recap on an amazing charity campaign which ended last night. We'll talk about that. We got to talk about the responsibility, how we're responsible for each other, one Jew is responsible for another, what responsibility means. And we got to sort of wrap up our talk on Rosh Hashanah, the new year, which is right around the corner, which is next week, um, Sunday night. So, but first things first, first thing we got to talk about this unbelievable matching campaign. I walked in here, Gil was sitting here before, and I said, Gil, you wouldn't believe what we made. And I showed him my phone with a screenshot, and he didn't really look. He said, wow, that's great. And then he looked, and he said, whoa, that's amazing. And it was amazing. We actually raised, so far, money is still trickling in. We raised in 30 hours $362,452. Now, to explain that in a matching campaign, um, the matching funds were already there before the campaign started, and we had 30 hours to raise what ended up being about $185,000. We raised so much that the last few dollars weren't doubled, weren't matched, because we had reached the, the, the max of what the matchers were willing to come up with. So it was unbelievable. There were 125 teams. Teams is, for most of our teams, we either parents or grandparents, and they would email and text and call friends, family, relatives, send them to the website. And on the website, people would donate, and the money was doubled, um, and it would come under their family name and under general for funds being raised. And people could write little notes, little blurbs. We even had a high school team. Now, it's all the girls in the high school were on a team. We don't have to go through it here, but there was a um, there were incentives, not money, not prizes, but uh, almost like a weekend vacation um, incentive for the girls. They had to raise fifteen thousand, which becomes matched to thirty thousand, and these girls were on fire. I mean, it, it was unbelievable. If I tell you the whole area, like my whole neighborhood. Anyone who has a kid in school, they're watching their phones and their computer screens, just watching those numbers grow. It was it was amazing. It was amazing. And I actually, there were two levels. They had to do 10,000, then an additional 5,000. And we're watching. It's Wednesday afternoon, and they're, they're 1,500 away and 1,000 away. Then they hit their number, and then all of a sudden, within the next hour and a half, they hit another 5,000. The, the, the numbers were just coming in so fast and furious. Um, we 
I mean, the people inputting couldn't even keep up with it. It was it was incredible, incredible, incredible. The people who worked at the good feelings, like we all run fundraisers and we're tired out. The people complain and events and who knows what. The the amount of good feeling in the Detroit community for this fundraiser was not to be believed. It wasn't to be believed. I'm just everybody. People wanted to give and they enjoyed giving. They were happy giving, and it was it was the most incredible. Um, fundraising event I personally have ever been involved in. I've been involved in dinners and raffles, and a, and we talked about two years ago probably about a Torah campaign I was involved in. This, I, I, I never had a campaign like this. The, the parents, they're calling us. You know, we're, we're sitting down Tuesday night, you know, starting to get things uh, rocking and rolling. And, uh, and I said, you, you don't have a link yet. Do you want a link? I need to. I need a commitment and this and that. We got their links up. We send it back to them, and, and and people Monday and said, Rabbi Jacobson, I don't know how to fundraise. I'm not going to make any money. I can't do this. And I said, Look, you know, every dollar counts. You reach out to a few people. Who knows what? For the person who couldn't raise ten dollars, a different guy calls me up and he says, Rabbi Jacobson, I, I'm having heart palpitations. I I I can't fundraise. I, I can't do this. If you can't do it, don't do it. I, I I can't have you get nervous, but Chaim, you're a runner. You're a jogger. Just go for a run. He said, I ran 13 miles yesterday, and, and I can do that. I can't do this. I said, anyway, so why pretend? What happens? He calls back in. He wants his links. I don't remember now. 1500 for the person who couldn't handle it. The, the excitement in the building. You walk down the hallways. It was about 1.30 yesterday afternoon. We had our matching money on the side. And we had our advisors telling us what to do. And they said, look, your parent body's never done this before. You've never done this before. Let's be conservative, but you're going to have to work. Have your parents raise $125,000. That's goal one. If they reach that goal, we can take the matches to the next level. Tuesday night, we were already, oh, maybe we should raise it. So somebody said a brilliant thing. He said, you can't raise you can't raise the bar yet. That's the bonus round. Imagine you train somebody and you train somebody who's going to... Well, all of a sudden, at mile number four, you tell the guy, you know, we're going to change it to an eight mile. You're taking away my goal. You're not being fair. So that's what the advisor said. So we said, fine. Of the $250,000 goal, we were already in the mid-200s. By 130, we hit the goal. 130, and, and I was so emotional. It was like... And the place was hopping. And uh, amazingly enough, last night, with 20 minutes left to go, I told, I told my wife, I said, $90, can I put you in for that last $10 to get us over the top? She said, for sure. I'm playing on my phone when we're, when we're almost there. I, I don't know what happened. All of a sudden, it, went, it was in the 349. It was a 351. I didn't even have time. To, to get her number in, and we blew past it. And we're running around. Should we get more matching? Should we get more matching? We're over 350. We're at 351, 352, but it's not being matched anymore, these last few thousand dollars. And we sat there, and it, it was an interesting thought. Everybody works so hard. If I tell you, the community was busy watching. Friends and family were watching. Federation people were watching. It was it was the most um, fundraising that I personally, that I was personally involved in. I mean, I know there's all kinds of amazing fundraisers that go on. People are charitable. But for me, this one, I was personally involved. 
a few more dollars will come in, and so far another 12000 came in. It's just still trickling in. I believe the web page will be open for another two days for those who want to give. And as I told my, I don't know, I don't really know who sent in for my listening audience, but I know some people did. And it's appreciated, and it's, it's heartfelt, and just know you are part of something bigger than yourself. Which leads me to a fascinating thought, and uh, I should have looked at my notes from last week, uh, but I certainly wanted to say it last week. Uh, and that is the following thought. So here we are, Rosh Hashanah is coming, the high holidays are upon us, and there's a Mishnah. And the Mishnah is the oral law. And the Mishnah is talking about the four times a year the world is judged. It says on Passover for the grains and on, on tabernacles for the um, Pentecost, I'm sorry, Shavuos for, um, for the fruit. And on tabernacle at Sukkot, uh, we're judged for water. And what about Rosh Hashanah? So there, instead of the Mishnah saying what we're judged for, it seems to get into the how. And the Mishnah elaborates, and it says, the whole world uh, walks before God like Kivnei Maron. So the question is what Kivnei Maron means. One explanation in the Talmud is like soldiers. Like soldiers. So, so the question becomes very nice. I mean, you're telling, the, the, the Mishnah wants to tell me the how, but the first three examples were what. So why do you switch from the what we're being judged for to the how? So there was a Rabbi Bax who explained, amazing. He said, it is what? You're judged like soldiers. What does that mean? Imagine you have an army. A tank driver says, I'm going this way. Another tank says, I'm going this way. A couple soldiers say, well, we'll hang out there in the tree. A couple more soldiers say, well, we'll dig a foxhole over here. A plane says, I'm going to fly in that direction. Um, I don't know, the long-range missiles decide to aim to the north. Like, what I, everyone's on their own. You have no army. You have a bunch of individual soldiers who are going to get killed and accomplish zero. Because that's not how an army works. In an army, you work as a team. When you work as a team, you are fantastically successful. So the mission is saying, how did you live your year? Were you a team player were you out there helping other organizations? Were you out there helping your family, helping other people? Were you a team player? Or you were out there on your own, and I take care of myself, and you take care of yourself, and I'm not really interested or worried about what anybody else is doing. So if you want to win, if you want to win the judgment, you got to be a team player. And what I finished experiencing, look, I know lots of people who help and lots of people who are involved and stuff. This was team like I never saw before. You could probably tell I'm a little excited about how this fundraiser went because it, it really, it, it was just mind-blowing. There's just no way to explain it. If you were involved in it in any way, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you've ever been involved in such a matching campaign, you know what I'm talking about. It's an experience. If your organization gets involved in a matching campaign and you could be one of the team players, you got to do this. It's, it's, it's amazing. And it was really amazing, and I'm glad I was part of it. Anybody who joined, I thank you for joining. Anybody who's listening to me rant about how much I enjoyed it, even that's good. Even that I thank you for. So in any case, that's the, um, that's the overall wrap-up of an amazing 
fundraising campaign, we were discussing, can we do it again? We could, but I don't know if we can do it every year. Organizations do it every year, but we have other fundraisers during the year. So this was something that we pushed and people gave us, and we, we got we to gotta watch our limits, our limits. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. The decision has not been finalized. We'll have a, a team meeting next week and decide what we want. I have a feeling it'll be a couple of years before we do it again, but... As we say, call out cover to anybody involved, anybody who donated. Um, there was a screenshot up earlier. 1,900 people, over 1,900. Over 1,900 people donated in 30 hours. That, and that doesn't even include my matchers, so I can uh, you know, tack on another 15 people if I want, or 30 people, whatever it was. 1,900 people, I mean, unless you're the... The UJAs of the world, the Red Cross of the world, were a local Orthodox day school. 1,900 people donating is a tremendous, humongous amount, and uh, appreciated. What else can we say? Thank you. That's it. Okay. So that, that's our charity. It's a wrap-up. And once I'm here, getting close to my break. Anyways, let me tell you another charity story. I was going to tell you last week, I probably told you in the past— but a, a great story worth remembering. The story is told with the great Rabbi Akiva, and it really applies to his daughter. Um, warned by, I don't know, which uh, heavenly notice, I don't know. Somehow Rabbi Akiva had been told that his daughter's wedding. Now, you can only take so many precautions, right? You can't have guards standing on somebody all day long, certainly not on the day of their wedding. But he did. He had people watching around, seeing, worried, concerned, but there's only so much he can do. And uh, somewhere, I guess almost after the wedding, there's a scream from his daughter's tent in her room, and there is a poisonous snake with a hairpin right between the eyes into the wall. Serbia Akiva says to his daughter, what happened? So she says, I don't know. I was, I don't know, fixing my hair, fixing my whatever. I took the pin out of my hair and I stuck it in the wall. I didn't look at the wall. I stuck it in the wall. I turned around and there's a dead snake. And I was, if you think I could aim a pin to go ahead and get it right between my daughter's eyes, I wasn't looking and the pin went in. So he says, my dear daughter, I must tell you, I knew that you were supposed to die, that you had heavenly protection. What did you do today? I know, come on, it's a wedding day, preparations, preparations. No, no, you did something special today. What? Um, I was sitting by, I was sitting around by, by my seat or whatever, and a poor person, I saw a poor person outside. And I went over to him and I said, uh, what do you need? He says, portion. Now, this is not like nowadays. You give away one portion. The next portion is in front of you before you blink. Um, I gave away my portion to him. I felt bad for him. Which was going to be that she was going to starve. She was not going to have food that day by her wedding. Since my daughter, you gave charity. Charity has the power to save from death. You should have died. But because you gave charity, and you gave charity away that it cost you, because you didn't get to eat supper. You gave your supper away. When you give your supper away, that kind of charity where you gave and it cost you is, is life-saving, is life-changing. And now, whatever that decree was, you were supposed to die on the day of wedding, that's gone. You could live for another 70 years now because it's a whole new, 
It's a whole new ball game, and we have our music playing. So we're getting ready for the break. So you're listening to Rabbi Tzvi on Let's Talk Torah. Hold through the break. We got to talk Rosh Hashanah. We got to talk about this week's Torah portion. Hold through the break. We're going to be right back. Welcome back to Pop That Culture. That's a horror movie. (laughs) Bury the phone in the Bat Cemetery. It's got a cord. (laughs) I'm Ben Rose for the Motor City Juke Joint. I'll have interviews with musicians and a playlist curated by me just for you. Hello, folks. Welcome to the Greg Russell Movie Show. When I have a couple cocktails, everything's funnier. (laughs) I still just love that line. Producer, director, how did this whole thing come about for you? Hey, how are you? I'm Gerald Valley, and I want to invite you to listen, watch, share my new show, The Drop-In. It is going to cover skate, music, culture, actually all sports. I have some great guests lined up, and it's to inspire and motivate people to make the most of this life we have. Check out the inspiration, the stoke, and the life of The Drop-In with Gerald Valley. We're at C2E2 with the legendary Chris Claremont. Greetings, my fellow geeks. My name is Jordan Trevilian, and this is Get It to the Geeks. We are here with David Yost, the original blue Power Ranger. Nobody promised you when you bought the thing on PS4 that you could play it on Switch. Well, your, your excuse is garbage. I'm going to pull out my crossbow. All right, sweet chainmail armor. Let's see what you got. Because I'm all about that roach, about that roach. And we're back. We talked charity. We talked campaign. We we wrapped up the campaign. And now let's get into a little bit of the Torah portion. And then we gotta we gotta get into Rosh Hashanah, most important. But maybe this topic is something that will help us for Rosh Hashanah also. So there's a concept. Is a Hebrew word. The Hebrew word is arvus, really from the word arev. And an arev is really like a cosigner. It's, so the word is used as a collateral, a cosigner. And that was in this week's Torah portion. Moses gathers all the Jewish people. This is not just a speech for the men. This is not just a speech for women. This is not just a speech for adults. Men, women, children, older, younger, everybody's here. Moses is, you want to quote the last hurrah, he's going to die within a few days. Certainly by next week's Torah portion, it's the last day of his life already. So he's got to give his last speech. But the last speech is really a treaty. Even though we had made a treaty with God back by Mount Sinai, but since we did the golden calf, that broke that treaty. Now a second treaty is being made, and this treaty is a permanent treaty, as we say, no backsies. God chose us as his nation, and we choose God as our God. That's it. This is, this is it in front of millions and millions of people. This new treaty is established between God and the Jewish people. It is public. It is not changing. 
no, as far as in the Jewish religion, no one can come along and tell us that God changed his mind. And now instead of the Jewish people, now he wants to choose other people. As far as we're concerned, there's no backseas. If God wants, he can get millions of us back together and tell us the deal's off. But since the deal was made in front of millions of people, you want to break that deal, come back down and tell us in front of millions of people that we are God's people and God is our God. Now, part of that treaty came along with some new rules and regulations. And one of those rules and regulations is called Arvus. Arvus means that every Jew has to look out for another Jew. What does that mean? What it, what it doesn't mean is, um, is that uh, I can tell you to take out the laundry for me because uh, you're responsible for me. That's not what it means. I have puppets in my classroom, so the puppets go ahead and say, oh, you're responsible. Okay, please clean my room. Oh, you're responsible. Oh, pick up after me. That's not what it means. It means that if I see somebody doing something wrong, I see somebody committing a sin, it is my job to go ahead and say you're doing something wrong. Obviously, in a nice way. My job is not to embarrass a person if I see them doing something wrong. But as one fellow Jew to another one, I have to say, this is not appropriate behavior. God doesn't like this. Why is that? Because in the judgment, which we're obviously again coming up to next week, there is the individual, private, how was my life this year? Did I do what I was supposed to do this year? Did I act properly? Did I do positive? Did I do commandments? Or did I, God forbid, sin, do things wrong? And there's a scale, and which scale is higher? And, and that's the individual. But there also is a general scale. There's a world scale. There's a Jewish people scale. And uh, that means that every mitzvah, every good deed is going to go on one side of the scale. Every bad deed is going down the other side of the scale. So that means if we look with an attitude that the world is at a 50-50 balance, so every time I want to do something, I should be thinking I could be tilting the world's balance either on the good side or on the bad side. So I need to go ahead and be careful what I'm doing. But that also means that when you're doing something, if you're doing something good, so it's, it's good for me also. If I'm doing something good, it's good for you. When you do something good, it's good for me because we're, we're, we're changing the balance. If a person, God forbid, does something wrong, he does a sin, you could be tilting the balance for the world in the other direction. So therefore, everything you do affects me. So a person never has a right to say, mind your own business. You want to be a rabbi. You want to be religious. That's your choice. I choose to do what I want to do to live my life. On that, you are affecting me. Now, obviously, the person's not going to listen. The person's going to yell at you, make fun of you, harass you. Okay, what should I do? He's not going to listen. He's not going to listen. But, but in a global sense, um, we're responsible for everybody. Everybody's responsible because when you do a good deed, you tilt the, you tilt the scale of the world one way. Again, like I just said, if, if people do something not so good, you're going to tilt it the other way. So there is a balance out there, and we're all responsible for each other because what one person does really affects the world. So we need to know that we don't get to say, mind your own business, leave me alone. If I want to burn, and that's my decision. Not really, because, yeah, it's true. If you want to burn, you don't want to do anything good, it is your decision. But if you think your decision doesn't affect the world, 
you are making a mistake. And that is this concept called being responsible, called arvos, that each of us is responsible one for another. So there's a very nice parable that I tell my children in school, and I'll share it with you because it's uh, well, the parable gives it a good feeling. So imagine for a second we're on a boat. We're on a cruise ship, and we have all our rooms, and there's a thousand rooms on the cruise ship, and some of us, of course, are above the water, and some of us that don't want to pay such high amounts are in the below water. I'm assuming that's true. I'm actually clueless. I've never been on a cruise, um, and I'm not looking for someone to send me on a cruise. But imagine you're one of the cabins below water, and you have this big drill with a three-foot drill bit, Again, I'm not sure if this is really possible, but let's just imagine. And you start drilling a hole in the bottom of the boat or on the side of the boat where the water is going to come crashing through. And I ask you what you're doing. And you say, could you please mind your own business? I paid for this room. I paid a lot of money for this cruise. And I want to drill a hole. You don't like to drill holes? You go to your cabin. But in my cabin, I drill holes. So anybody with anybody who thinks understands that's ridiculous, right? Because you drilling a hole is going to affect the whole boat. So no one gets to say if I'm putting somebody else's life in danger, mind your own business. Everybody understands that. So it's the same thing when it comes to the world and doing good deeds or not good deeds that anything somebody does affects the world. And now it's Rosh Hashanah time. We talk about scales. We talk about judgment. Um, Rosh Hashanah is the birthday of the year, meaning that God created the world on Rosh Hashanah. So that's the day that he says, okay, I'm going to judge. I'm going to judge everybody because you got to pick a day, right? If you're going to judge, might as well be uh, a yearly occurrence. And a yearly occurrence, a yearly judgment actually is very good for us if you think about it. Um, before the flood in the time of Noah, so the world was, was perfect. Everything was great. People were healthy and strong, and food was great, and the weather was fantastic. And God watched the world uh, spiral um, into immorality, and he waited and waited and waited until the world just deserved to be destroyed. So now it's too late. And as if every year God judges the world— Okay, he judges the world. Some people have to live. Some people have to die. Some people have to be punished. Some people have to be rewarded. So, so God does not allow all the sins of, of mankind to pile up to a point where the world has to be destroyed. So therefore, it rains. Not so comfortable. I stub my foot. I get an earache. I break a bone. I, I have some, uh, some loss in the stock market. I don't know. You can pick whatever you want. Uh, so if there's yearly that God is, is making a calculation, God will never allow anymore after the flood. That was part of the plan. That God will never allow after the flood that we should get to a point where the world's been so bad it has to be destroyed. So there's really a, a fantastic benefit to the world being judged on a yearly basis. What's fascinating, by the way, is it's only oral law that we know the world is judged. Okay, I'm telling you a secret, right? Um, but the world is judged yearly. But it doesn't say that anywhere in the Torah. Nowhere in the written Torah does it say anything, anything about the world being judged. So, again, we get that from the rabbis, and it's a favorite to us. But if you only read the Old Testament, 
It doesn't say anywhere that we're getting judged. We know the Talmud tells us. We know there's a holiday. There's a holiday, Rosh Hashanah. There's some hints to blowing the shofar, but nothing else really as far as the actual fact it's a day of judgment. And a day of judgment, uh, there should be some things that could make people nervous. A person should be nervous. When a person's getting judged, he should go ahead and prepare. If you had a court case, right, you wouldn't be a fool. Uh, you would hire a lawyer. You would ask, what should I do? How should I prepare? How should I dress? How should I act? Should I get people to help me who should come to, to, um, to be an advocate for me? I mean, you prepare for Rosh Hashanah. A person should prepare. Does it mean he should make an, a, a uh, he should look at his year and figure out, has it been a good year? Did I do the right things? Did I do things that weren't so good? How can I improve? You got to do things to go ahead and put you in a position where you deserve to live. You deserve to have a good judgment. We need to make change. I wasn't as good as I should have been last year. What can I do to make myself better this year? So something we do in my family, and I, it's not original, uh, people say, let me find something that I can, be, I can work on this year, something small. When you pick humongous things, it falls by the wayside. But when you pick small things, it, it actually affects everything you do. Somebody might say, I'm going to be careful with this specific blessing once a day. I actually, for myself, I didn't do it this year, so I wasn't so good because I didn't pick it last year. I'm going to pick it again this year because I love it. I wake up excited. Thank you, God, for letting me wake up. It's going to be a great day. There's excitement to that. There is, the, and that, by the way, affects my whole day. Nothing major, nothing earth-shattering. I'm going to give a million dollars in charity. I'm going to spend 200 hours helping poor people, which is also good. Don't get me wrong, but we pick small things. We make improvements. We're going to continue this conversation because my music is playing. You're listening to Rabbi Tzvi. Ah, we're on Let's Talk Torah. And if you hold through the break, we're going to continue this conversation. So hold through. We'll be right back. Why are we here? What makes a person truly good? For those answers, you're gonna have to take a philosophy class. But if you're more interested in who would win in a fight between R2-D2 and a Dalek, watch Get It to the Geeks. Welcome back to Who's Got Chutzpah? I'm your host, Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson. And are you ready? Um... What holiday is this associated with? Oh boy, uh, uh. Sukkot? I'm sorry, that's not the answer we were looking for. Whitney, for the win, can you tell us which holiday is this? I'm I know, Shavuot. No, I'm sorry. I've got the answer. Ta-da! What? My show, Let's Talk Torah, where we talk Torah, holidays, faith, and all the things that help us live our life. That's Let's Talk Dora, Thursdays at 3 p.m. That's pretty good. At times we see a guy running down to first base and it's, it turns into a hobble. Get yeah. bumped. I mean, that's <laughs> getting bumped. <laughs> that can't be the same guy. Can't be the same guy.
Do you want to see things like this? You just say you died? <laughs> well, I mean, technically. Or maybe even something like this. We'll do nothing but destroy your corpses and burn them all for my dogs. Your dogs are gone. And sometimes, a little of this. We need to have a talk. <laughs> I take my axe and I smash it. No! <laughs> and check out Podquesters, the show where we tackle ghoulish goblins, fiendish foes, and dangerous tricks. Oh, like the singer? No, the dragon creature. Oh. Anyways, Podquesters, Fridays, only on NewRadioMedia.com. Apples and honey are good. Want to tip another, but I probably shouldn't. I got so many at home. And we're back, apples and honey. And if I don't start talking about food, I will not have a chance. And Rosh Hashanah, like all holidays, we have the foods we take care of. We have the foods that make the holiday special. Apples and honey, of course, is from the most famous. Um, we do a lot of what we call simanim. We do actions um, almost as a request of what we're looking for. It's not magic. It's not hocus pocus. It's it's a focus of what I want. I want a sweet new year. That's what I want. Don't we all want that? Everybody wants a sweet new year. So we 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 do actions first of all to tell us what we need. So we focus on what's important. That's the sweetness. We want a sweet new year. Apples, apples are sweet. The apple dipped in honey is very sweet. Um, so we do we do actions, and I, I sometimes wonder, it's even more than that. Um, there's a concept we find uh, in, in the Bible, in the Torah, that, that if somebody had a prophecy, and then there was a, an action done that sort of showed the prophecy, it strengthens the prophecy. So if God is sending out a prophecy to say I should have a sweet new year, and then I actually do an action of a sweet new year, it strengthens that prophecy. Well, I'm not getting prophecy. We're, we're not having prophecies nowadays. We don't have prophets. But just that concept that I want a sweet new year, I'm asking for a sweet new year, God's saying he's going to give me a sweet new year, and now I do an action to show I, I want a sweet new year. So that in, in itself is powerful. But really, it's, it's like prayers. So when we're sitting the first night of Rosh Hashanah, and some people, they do the second night. I happen to do both nights. And they basically say a prayer. I can take my apple. I'm going to dip it in honey. And I'm going to say, God, please give me a sweet new year. It's like a blessing to the family, a blessing to everybody. And we eat it. Yum, delicious. Uh, there's actually a bunch of foods we do this with. Um, I probably do about half a dozen um, it really depends on the, on, the, on the country of origin. We've talked about this a lot of times. You have Europe, and you had the Middle Eastern countries. So I have a boy this year in my class. Actually, yeah, just one. Last year I had two. Who, who their fathers come from Middle Eastern countries. I don't remember which one, if it was Egypt or Syria. They actually, for in those families, the first night of Rosh Hashanah, they have all, he brought me in, a whole list. And some of the blessings or the prayers that they actually say on them. It's very interesting. I kept the paper. I didn't bring it with me. Uh, but here's a few things that we do to give you an idea. Um, we'll have the head of a fish. And we'll say the blessing we should be for a head, not a tail. Like important leaders. Some people use the head of a sheep, and they'll take a little piece of meat. 
I think my wife would get nervous if she saw the head of a sheep, but the boy in my class, they actually use that of a sheep. People will take a piece of fish, and, they was, and they'll say we should be fruitful and multiply. Now, the reason they use a fish is because certainly fish um, have a lot of babies. They multiply tremendously. And there's no evil eye um, associated with the birth of fish because you can't see them giving birth. You can't see them laying eggs. It's all under the water. Um, other people you could see. You see when they're pregnant. You see other stuff. So that's why we use the fish as that kind of uh, uh, that kind of of uh, of uh, motive, I guess the motif maybe is the right word. Whatever the right word is, uh, we use a fish for that. People take a carrot. So a carrot in Yiddish is a marin. So it means like many or multiply. So we we ask our our, our merits should multiply. One of the fascinating things, um, it doesn't matter what language, the name of the food is in. In other words, if it's all for blessings and it's all for signs, who cares what the language is? So here's a cute one. Um, people um, will take a raisin and they'll cut it in half. And they'll say, I should have a raisin in, and maybe they'll take a piece of celery and say, in salary. It's cute. Not important, but cute. But the point is, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be a Hebrew word. It could be a Yiddish word, or it's a German word. It could be an English word. Any country that people came from, they always did this. This was part of the meal. Uh, people will have, um, what else do we have? There'll be, there could be pomegranates. Pomegranate is full of seeds. And again, I should multiply my, uh, my merits. Um, there's another, I think, leek in Hebrew is called karsi for the word karas, which means to cut or destroy. My enemy should be destroyed. So there's all kinds of fun stuff. Um, we go around the table and, and everybody gets their food and we say it out loud. It's, it's fun. Um, it gets the point across of what I'm looking for in my new year and what's important. And that's really a fantastic focus for any holiday. And it's always important. We've talked about this before. Anytime we're, we're, we have children, we're talking about children, we're dealing with children, um, we want to we wanna tell them what's important. We want to show them what's important. If we keep going over the same concept over and over and over again, and we make a big deal about it, so they learn from a young age what's important, like sinks into the bones. So all this is is good stuff. I'm sure there's other standard Roshana foods happens to be that I love raisins in challah. Challah is, again, it's a, it's, a, it's a bread. It's got oil and sugar and, and the regular flowers. It's a regular Jewish food. For those that aren't familiar with it, it's called challah or challah. Usually it's plain. But on, on the high holidays, on Rosh Hashanah, some people have a custom to put raisins in it. That goes back, really, um, King Solomon, when he sent away everybody from the, the dedication of the first temple. So he gave them like this, it sounds like he gave them some type of challah or bread full of raisins. I love it. My family, nobody likes the raisins. They'd rather pick it out. So my wife is kind to me. She makes one. That's mine. So I cut that one the first night. I cut everybody else, the challah that they like, the plain challah. And then for the next two days, I slice myself, not so much, uh, for those of you who remember, um, last year we had Mike Gruel on. 
So he has a book about uh, dieting and uh, eating really healthy. He was really, and, and I lost about 25 pounds since last year. I gained a little back last night because in the campaign room, so they kept bringing food. So I don't need food around me. I, I eat well and I'm good, but if you bring me all the foods I like and it's on a tray and I'm busy working, I don't eat so good. But in general, in general, um, I've really been been really good with from that uh, that show last year around Rosh Hashanah time, and uh, I lost 25 pounds. Amazing! I feel good, except when I overeat like I did yesterday. Uh, but in any case, so I get to have my slices of my challah with raisins in it. So I'm happy. The kids are happy. They don't have to have my raisins, and we move on with life. Okay. So let's uh, let's get something else uh, we want to talk about over here. So many things in Rosh Hashanah. Talk about blessings. So another very beautiful thing that people do the first night of Rosh Hashanah, and really people do it all the time, right? Uh, the standard greeting, have a happy and healthy sweet new year, which I wish all my listeners, and even not my listeners, everybody should have a happy and healthy sweet new year. Um, so there's actually a specific blessing given that everyone gives to each other in the shul, in the synagogue, and when they come home, they they give it to their wife, spouse, children. And that is, um, the Hebrew is Lishana Tova, which means for a good year. Tikasev, you should be written. Again, to a girl, to a lady, it would be said with a little bit different grammar. Vesechasev, and you should be sealed. In other words, God's writing in his book, we should be written, good year, not a good year, not sure yet, we're going to hang around and give a week, 10 days to decide to Yom Kippur. But we should, you should be written, and you should be signed, sealed, for a sweet new year. L'shana tova, tikasev, v'sechasev. You should be written and sealed for a good year. Now, somehow, um, that got, there was an addition, an addendum to that one. So it actually goes like this. It goes, L'shana tova, tikasev, v'sechasev, la'alta, l'chayim, toivim, l'shalim. Right? Immediately, la'alta, immediately, l'chayim for life. For good, and for peace. So we the addendum just adds what's called good. What's called good? We want life. We want good. We want peace. Nothing is better than peace. Sometimes you gotta wonder when we make addendums, maybe we're making it worse. But that's that's what we walk around saying to everybody, and everybody listens, and everybody says you too, or they give the same blessing back. It's it's just a very wonderful, warm beautiful feeling when the the focus of the holiday, the focus after prayers is very simple. I want you, my friend, to be written for a good year. You want that for me. I want that for you. Goes back to what we said earlier in the show. There's responsibility. We're responsible for each other. We're not on an island. We're soldiers. We're a team. We're all in it together. And that means that I care about you. And I hope that you care about me. And and therefore, when everybody's walking around the, the, the synagogue and the shul and greeting everybody, have a happy and healthy new year, it's just, it's beautiful. It's warm. It's wonderful. Okay, so it takes an extra 15 minutes to get home. Who cares? And I walk into the house, and again, so I still have some younger children that are not able to come at night to the synagogue, so my wife is home with them. So you, the first thing you do when you walk into the house is this warm greeting, not what's for supper, not, oh, it was such a long prayer, is that canter, he went on forever. No. The first thing when you walk into the house is very simple. You should be written 
for a good year. Shana Tova, she signed, sealed for a good year. That's the attitude. That's that's how you walk into a house. That's how you greet your children. How is everyone? I hope you're blessed. I hope you're going to have a good year. It's a very wonderful, beautiful focus to the holidays because that it, first of all it does focus us in, and second of all it's it's just a nice way of, of walking into a house. It's just a beautiful thing. So that's uh, another. That's one of like the prayers that happens on the holiday. So I have about, I have a couple minutes, so many things to talk about. Um, okay, let's talk about this one. They tell me I have two minutes left. Okay, good. There is an ancient, ancient custom. It's called Tashlich. Um, many people do it on Rosh Hashanah itself. The original custom was actually to do it on the second day of Rosh Hashanah. Uh, many people can't do it on Rosh Hashanah itself, itself, so they'll do it somewhere before the end of the Sukkot holiday. It's called Tashlich. Tashlich is from the word to throw. It's also from a verse, which means that God, you should throw all my sins into the river. That's the verse. You should, God, you should throw all my sins away, which again sounds nice, but you got to earn it, right? In other words, you can't go ahead and be rotten and then and then go and say, you know, could you do me a favor? Could you just like cancel out my debt? <laughs> you earned it. You want me to cancel it out? You got to give me a reason to cancel it out. But with that thought process, I am not going to get through this tashlich at all. But one thing to keep in mind: people go to a river, they throw bread in the river. But, uh, and they would say, God, you throw away my sins. It doesn't mean that God's going to just throw them away because you threw bread in the river. It means we understand that we need to get rid of our sins. We have sins. We have imperfections. We're not perfect. We have things we've done wrong. We have to correct those things. If we did something wrong to a friend, we have to ask a friend for forgiveness. We did something wrong to God, we have to ask God for forgiveness, which we'll certainly spend time um, next week before Yom Kippur getting involved in talking about and here comes my music which I love this song but uh, when we come back we will be joined again he's been away for a couple weeks by Yonas and Goldson of Ethical Imperatives you're listening to Rabbi Tzvi on Let's Talk Torah hold through the break we're gonna be right back why are we here what makes a person truly good for those answers you're gonna have to take a philosophy class but if you're more interested in who would win in a fight between R2D2 and a Dalek watch Get It to the Geeks Welcome back to Pop That Culture. That's the horror movie. <laughs> Bury the phone in the bat cemetery. It's got a cord. I'm Ben Rose for the Motor City Juke Joint. I'll have interviews with musicians and a playlist curated by me just for you. Hello, folks. Welcome to the Greg Russell Movie Show. When I have a couple cocktails, everything's funnier. <laughs> I still just love that line. Producer, director, how did this whole thing come about for you?
Ah, low budget movie version. 60s TV version. Early 2000s high school pseudo-adaption that eventually grows into the geek we all know and love version here. Watch the Geektainment channel on NewRadioMedia.com. <clears throat> Approved. And since they built a wall in my window, um, I'm not sure if Rabbi Goldstein has made it through. So they're going to tell me as soon as they have him on the line, now that I get to hear them. But in any case, let's get into our letter of the week. Very interesting. It's Aitzadi to be right behind me on the right. We're getting towards the end of our alphabet again in the Hebrew alphabet. The Tzadi makes one of these sounds that, uh, that makes a tzah sound in English. However, um, the middle part of the word pretzel... The tsa is the sound of the tzadi, which, by the way, happens to be the letter of my first name, which is Tzvi, not Rabbi. It's even though we say Rabbi Tzvi, but uh, my name is Tzvi, and for many people that's a difficult pronunciation. But so, uh, you know, a friend in school told the teacher Tzvi like in pretzel. He didn't realize it. When you say like in, you mean the first part of the word. So he meant like the middle part of the word. But anyways, so for those out there who want to know how to pronounce my name, if you can say the tsa of pretzel, you can say tsvi. Or they think my name is Steve and I don't correct them. But in any case, whatever works. So um, the numerical value of that letter, and again, if you're looking at the letter, it's like a V with a, with a base that comes uh, towards the bottom. It's not exactly, it's sort of... On the other side, it's got a line that you figure it out. You look at the picture, you know exactly what it is. In any case, the numerical value is 90, but my word this week for tzadi is not my name, even though it should be. The word for tzadi is tzeda. Tzeda means provision. Like tzeda ladarech. If you're in Israel and you're going on a trip, someone will ask you, do you have tzeda ladarech, which is provisions for the way. So whenever I used to go to my mother-in-law, when we would visit, then we'd be going back home. So she had to send us with tzedel aderch. You don't send people away without some food for the trip. So some people think tzedel aderch is a piece of cake, piece of cake, food. It would be potato kugel. It would be chicken. So in any potato kugel. So when I get to that word in class, we talk about, it's a part in the... It talks about Joseph sending his brothers back home to tell Jacob that Joseph is alive. So the verse says he sent them tzedel adarach. So I, as a joke, tell my class to translate away. We translate potato kugel. So that becomes the joke that they, when they see these words, which is tzeda, can either mean provisions or if you're in my third grade class. So it seems we are not able to get Rabbi Goldson on the line. So therefore, we will just move along. So I do have a story. Um, I usually like to end with stories, but it's a longer story, so let's give it a start. Somebody just resent me the story. My son just recently told me the story with a an, an added version, which I never knew. So there's a uh, a teacher. He comes to visit. So we'll we'll call him Shmuel. Is going to visit his teacher. We'll call his teacher's name David. So Shmuel goes and he says, Rabbi David. Uh, 20 years ago, and, and I became a third-grade Rebbe just like you. And Rabbi David says to his old student, Shmuel, yeah, I, I do recognize you. It's been a long time. Things, you have to be a special person. Why did you decide 
You wanted to be a teacher like me. What, what happened? I also want to have the ability to affect children's lives. A and affect their lives, that's really amazing. Um, but, okay, I mean, wh where did you see that I affected your life? Tell you a story. I'm, I'm surprised you don't remember the story, but I'll tell you the story that affected my life. And uh, a boy had come to you, and the boy had said, somebody stole my watch. Somebody stole my watch. So you said to the whole class, I said, look, boys, um, somebody's missing a watch. Uh, if you buy missing your pocket, could you please, could you please give it back? Um, and no one did anything. And I was the boy who had stolen the watch, and the watch was in my pocket. I was too embarrassed to give it back. And then you said to us, you said, okay, guys, everybody has to line up against the back wall. I'm going to have to put my hands in every pocket and uh, find the watch. But we don't want to embarrass anybody, so everyone should please close their eyes. So the whole class is standing there, their eyes are closed, and you went from boy to boy, sticking your hand in the pocket, you got to my pocket, you pulled the watch out, um, and you continued down the line, and I was petrified. You gave back the watch to the boy who lost it, and you had everybody sit down, and it was a forgotten conversation. And I was nervous, because I figured that um, that you were going to call me over, you were going to call my parents, you were going to say it to the class, that I was a thief. You didn't say one word. Not for a day. My parents didn't hear about it. I was nervous at home. I didn't get a phone call. Um, nothing happened. We went through the whole year. You never embarrassed me. And you saved my life. I, I, you could have killed me. You could have destroyed me. Instead, you didn't say one word. And, and I, was, I was so appreciative how, how you could have really destroyed me. And instead, you didn't say a word. I appreciate it. And it made me into a better person. And I said, I want to be like Rabbi David, because Rabbi David, even when a child does something so wrong, he doesn't say a word. So Rabbi David said, you know, Shmuel, it's very nice you telling me. I never knew it was you. <laughs> Shmuel says, come on, Rabbi David. You put your hand in my pocket. You took the watch out of my pocket. What do you mean that you didn't know it was me? He said, Shmuel, the same way I told the whole class to close their eyes, I also closed my eyes. I did not know it was you because no one should be embarrassed. By closing my eyes, I didn't know who it was. And that is amazing. A teacher to go ahead and not only not embarrassed but not even know... That is amazing. We should all be lucky to have such a teacher like that, Rabbi David. Anyways, it's time to wrap it up. Got to thank all our sponsors, listeners. You know, I couldn't do without you. Amazing by production team today. Let's thank them all. We got Kelsey, Cole, Steven, Zach. I hope I've left you with some food for thought. Until next week, I'm Rabbi Tzu. You've been listening to Rabbi Tzu on Let's Talk Torah on NRM Streamcast. Until next week, don't forget to think about it. And everyone should have a happy, healthy, sweet new year. And we'll see you next year.